Hello and welcome to episode nine of Establish the Collection. I'm Cody Main, joined as always by my co-host Gary Hartman. And with us today is a very special guest, fellow Establish the Run analyst, a man you can find in the sports betting streets, in the best ball streets, of course, in the DFS streets, a man that's been using sports cards as a form of investing over the last 15 years, but most importantly, a man that understands the awards market like no one else I know. It's none other than Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, how's it going, buddy? Good, gentlemen. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Happy to have you on, man. Likewise, likewise. Yeah, doing well, my friend. Very excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's got a ton of free content published on the site. So so head over after you get done listening to this to establishtherun.com. He's got, I mean, Ryan, you've got stuff for coach of the year, MVP, offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. You've got all that stuff posted to the site right now, don't you? Yeah, I had everything posted individually. Um, probably the day this releases, I'll have something where there's going to be a link to everything I've done so far this offseason. So I'd look for that as well. Yeah. Check, check out all of Ryan's stuff. Like I said, he understands the awards market better than, better than anyone I, that I know. Um, he's he's kind of deep into this stuff. I think it's, a, it's a, a niche of his that he's really owned over the last couple of years. So we're going to get some, some insights from him today. No better time to do that than now. We're a month and a half away from training camp. We're less than two months away from the preseason. Best ball season is underway. Um, so, yeah, like I said, no better time than now to, to start considering buying some of these guys as we head into, um, you know, head into the summer months. August, September is coming up. That's when card prices are really going to pop. So we want Ryan to talk us through the awards market as it stands right now, get some of his favorite bets and some of the guys that he think might see a huge jump uh, in their, their overall play this season. So, so more importantly for us, what their card prices might do. Um, but but before we kick it to you, Ryan Gary, just wanted to wanted to get your thoughts on you know when you're when you're thinking about buying players in the off season and hoping to sell them at some point during the regular season or maybe holding them long term. Historically, what what happens to these guys when they do outperform expectations and say they they have an MVP type campaign or they win the MVP? You know what what happens to their card prices throughout the course of the season? Yeah, historically, we've seen it, especially for MVP award winners. We've definitely seen it have a pretty large impact on their card prices. Uh, we can use Aaron Rodgers as an example. Obviously, last year's MVP winner, also one of the best quarterbacks of all time. That helps. Uh, but before the season last year, his let's use his just tops base PSA rookie 10 from 2005 as an example that started around the season. In the September range, around $1,200 as an average of sale. By uh, the end of the season, when it was pretty much known or realized that he was going to win the award in, in late January, that was going for around $5,600, which is what it peaked at. Uh, it settled in around forty-five to 5000 right now. But obviously, we're talking a very, very big jump just in season when he was having that run. So you'll definitely see that um, both when the MVP winner is kind of known or you know expected and through that run where they're at least in the running, you will definitely see that nice jump for MVP award winners. Yeah. And I think to, to that point a little bit, you'll notice that, and I posted a couple of tweets on Twitter as I was doing some uh, analysis the last couple of days, you'll notice that like Gary said, once it's basically known, which you can, you can pretty much figure out in the betting markets as we'll talk with Ryan about today. But shortly after that, there's there's kind of the uh, the buy the rumor sell the news effect with that stuff as you'll see a lot of people rush to sell when that's when that stuff is announced and card prices will fall a little bit um, from their peak so 
something to keep in mind if you are lucky enough to to correctly peg the MVP award winner and, and you kind of notice that it's trending that direction in the in the betting markets. Get ahead of that if you're trying to take advantage and, and realize some profits. You might not want to hold too long. So, um, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Rogers and um, go go even a step for step back uh, to 2019. Lamar Jackson opened at like 80 to one, and you could find his prices at like 40 dollars a card, which just seems crazy in today's market. But uh, yeah, Lamar was going around 40 dollars, and he peaked around 500 during his campaign, and then um, he, he's one guy that we'll touch on today. His card prices kind of skyrocketed after that, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's good to note that that obviously this stuff matters. Their on field play, of course, matters to what will happen with their card prices. But it's just one uh, you know additional way for us to to make some bets during the season or or in the off season on who we think might win the MVP and, and whose card prices might improve based off of that. So yeah, we've we've rambled long enough, Ryan. You're the expert here. Why don't you just start by talking through your process, how you identify guys that can actually win the MVP award. And before you make bets, like what you're looking for, um, that that kind of sum up what an MVP award winner is. Okay. Um, the last decade or so, a little bit beyond that, MVP has primarily been a quarterback award. Adrian Peterson's the last running back to, to win the award. He, he breached 2,000 yards. I don't recall which year it was specifically, but I think 10 out of the last 11 MVP winners are quarterbacks. So first and foremost, we want to bet on a quarterback. Anything else is an outlier bet. Second, the number one or number two seed in the conference is generally coincides with the MVP winner. More times than not, it's the top seed. Last year, Rodgers, the Packers were the top seed. Um, so I think how I start my process is which teams in each conference are re realistically capable of being one of the top two teams in the conference. In the AFC, I think it's pretty clear this year. You have the Chiefs, you have the Ravens, you have Buffalo, and Cleveland has a pretty stacked up roster now where teams like the Titans or the Chargers, Miami, I think they all have kind of an uphill climb to beat all four of those teams. Where the NFC, you have the Bucks, who you have to account that Brady's going to turn 44 in August this year. So while he's, you know, not exactly a normal human being, we do have to at least acknowledge that this isn't normal what's going on with him. The Rams are also a legitimate, legitimate competitor for the top seed with Stafford coming in. But, uh, after that, now we also have to account for Rodgers. We probably should assume at this point that he's going to be a Packer if he plays. I think if he goes to Denver, he gets in the mix with the AFC. But beyond that, I think there's more chance for a riser in the NFC to get to the top two spots than in the AFC. So one thing that I've been, I've been kind of thinking about regularly since Silva mentioned it back around the draft time is Dallas is actually – no one likes Dallas this year. Everyone's down on Dallas. But if you look at Dallas's schedule, there's only two teams on it that have a higher win total than theirs. And you could get to a 12-5 and five record for them if, if you really dig into it. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but if their defense turns from, like, you know, a back-of-the-pack unit to more of a middle-of-the-pack unit, they have some legs to be one of the better teams in the NFC. So one of the bets I made was Dak um, at 20-1 to 1, right around the draft. With that in mind, um, I only put a half a unit on it because they open at Tampa on opening night, where if they get shelled, his, his prices are going to fall. Then they play the Chargers in week two on the road, which is a bit of a, a dicey, I'd call that kind of a coin flip game. 
And then after that, they play Philly, Carolina, and the Giants at home. So they have a pretty good stretch after that where we all know that that, that can be the the head, the centerpiece for a top five offense in the league. So I think he's an interesting candidate. Um, obviously, we have to account for Mahomes every year, but we don't really need to get into that. That's kind of obvious. I will say on on his front as an MVP candidate, more is expected of him now. You know, he's expected to be in the hunt every year. Josh Allen, I mean, he he ended up finishing second in the race last year. He's wearing a dark visor now, which we should all be a little bit afraid of. I mean, any man that has the confidence to wear a dark visor as a quarterback, he doesn't see himself as a fluke. Let's just say that. Um, he also is on a team with an 11-point win total. So, again, we have to account for him. I bet on Lamar as well. And the reason behind that is we already know we can win it, obviously. Uh, I don't know how much best ball guys you, you guys have done this so far this year, but he's going in like the round five, six range. and. I have grotesque amounts of Lamar to this point, insane amounts. Uh, but the reason I bet on him now is they, they open the season in Las Vegas on Monday night in a potential showcase game where if Lamar hung 35 points in the Raiders in a winning effort, would that surprise either of you? No, no, not at all. And then more importantly, they play the Chiefs on Sunday night football at home in week two. If he does what everyone expects him to do against the Raiders in week one, and then they beat the Chiefs at home on Sunday Night Football in week two, he's going to be in the lead in the MVP race. Mm. So I'm interested in them. Uh, why, why don't we start there with Lamar uh, and, and just go a little bit deeper? We want to add some context around his card prices a little bit here too. So, um, yeah, Lamar was a guy that we touched on. Obviously, he won the award in 2019. Um, we, we just talked about it. His card prices rose from like $40 and his base PS, base prism PSA 10 was like $40, uh, you know, at the start of his 2019 MVP campaign, rose all the way to 500, fell a little bit after the 2019 season, but heading into the 2020 season, um, Gary and I were just talking about this off air. His card prices peaked at like $4,000 per heading into the season for just his base, base prism rookie card in a PSA 10. So, um, you know, even despite the market softening a bit, we've seen Lamar's card prices kind of flatten out recently. Um, you can just over the last 90 days, uh, you know, down slightly, we're looking at like 850 to $900 a pop for his base uh, PSA 10. Gary, what have, I mean, what have you seen uh, with respects to his market and where are you at with Lamar heading into the, heading into this season? Yeah, Lamar has really nowhere to go but up right now coming off, you know, obviously what most people would consider a down second or down third season, I guess, coming off the, uh, you know, MVP year. Um, yeah, I mean, those cards hitting four grand just coincided with the peak of the card market mm -hmm. as a whole in the like mid midsummer last year. We're going that was in August or so almost, you know, 10 months from when he hit that peak. Uh, and now since then, it's just, you know, and through the season, it's just gone consistently down and we're sitting now. If you can get the Lamar Jackson base PSA 10 prism rookie card for around $800, $900. So, I mean, talk about a fall. Um, if we think that he can have that bounce back year, I think that could certainly be a buy. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting. I think Ryan brings up really, really interesting points as far as those showcase games are concerned. I don't really, I never even really thought about that from an award standpoint. It makes all the sense in the world, especially with the just figuring out the way the markets are going to move. Um, but, you know, I think that's a great thing to talk about in cards also. And since this is the way I like to sell, is that I look ahead to schedules. So if I'm going to do an auction, for example, and I know Lamar is playing the Chiefs week two, I might start that auction, a seven day auction on the Sunday night week one, knowing it's going to end 
that week too in the same way that like, hey, at least if he shows up in this big, big showcase primetime game, I'm probably going to get my highest sale at the end of that night. So uh, those two things definitely coincide. And I think that's a great point Ryan brings up. I love that, by the way. I, that's a great idea. That is. Yeah, and that's something that that's something that Ryan uh, is is something that I love about Ryan. He had an MVP bet on Lamar in 2019. Ryan, why why don't you just talk about how you handled your um, position on Lamar in 2019 a little bit? Because I know you sold and you sold your tickets, uh, managed to secure some profits, and then rebought when his when his market dipped a little bit. So um, because you and Gary kind of think about that in a very similar way, why don't you just talk about your MVP process a little bit from that perspective? Well, back then with him, I, I viewed Lamar as I don't I don't view he, I view him similar to RG three, where if he lost his ability to run, I'm not sure he's a starting caliber quarterback, but he's he's on the fringe. But he's absolutely one of the top two rushing quarterbacks ever. So going into that season, I saw that kind of athlete being put in a Ravens system where Joe Flacco was consistently competitive with that team. And when I would go watch film, I used to dread watching Joe Flacco games. So just that alone, the ceiling that he gave them to me was them going 14 and two wasn't what I was expecting, but them being, you know, an 11 plus win team was kind of what I was thinking. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I had Lamar prisons that year too. And I sold them a little too early. I didn't hit that $4,000 peak. Um, but how I viewed it was he opened up real soft. He opened up against a Miami team that was widely considered the worst team in the league and he shredded them. That I believe in week three against the Chiefs, I view that as a decision point. That's what I, I talk about that all the time in my columns, where I thought they were going to lose that game. So his odds went from 50 to one to roughly 10 to one. And while being able to sell off your tickets in season is a very imperfect process now because sports books don't really give you a good deal on those. And the prop swap doesn't really have a wide enough audience for it to really, you know, for you to get absolute value but there are bets that i make with the intention of selling it at a certain time so while you would think like that's a five to one winner and i'm just using that as an example i don't remember the exact odd shift but uh i probably got three to one odds on it so my hundred dollar tickets i sold for 300 in that scenario so i sold off enough of my position to basically cover my whole bet thinking they were going to lose that game and i'd be able to rebuy them then later on in the year, they played Seattle, which I viewed as the next decision point where he played, he squared off against Russell Wilson, who I think was either in the lead in the MVP race or second, and they slaughtered them. So he was then, he, I think he went from 50 to one to seven to one after that game. And then when they beat the Patriots on Sunday night football, where he basically carried them, the race was basically over. So that situation I'd say isn't exactly, you know, we can't expect that to happen very often, but. I rode that one pretty well. Yeah, there's there's obviously a ton of parallels between the sports betting market and trying to trying to catch swings, and and the same thing goes for the card market too. So I, I just thought that that was especially noteworthy with how you handled that. Um, another guy that you mentioned was Dak. Um, I love Dak. Full disclosure, so uh, I'm kind of all in on this one. You said you got him at twenty to one. I saw him around fifteen, sixteen, seventeen to one. Um, you know, like Lamar, his prices peaked uh, around the beginning of last season. His were were slightly less than that. They were around fourteen hundred, and then man, his market tanked after that season-ending ankle injury. It it fell off an absolute cliff, which at you know as you would expect. Um, but they've they've rebounded slightly, uh, kind of in that seven hundred to seven seven fifty range. Um, and this is for his silver, right, Gary? I mean, we were looking at this yesterday, Ryan and I. Um, 
did they not have a base prism in 2017? It's just silver is the base card for that class. Correct. Same thing with Mahomes year too. So 2016 for for yeah. uh, for Dak and 2017 for Mahomes, it's just silver. Yeah. So we, we happen to notice that that was one thing that was that was kind of interesting. But um, you know, as far as Dak goes on the field, he's probably got one of the widest ranges of outcomes of the guys that we're talking about. Just coming off that, I mean that that ankle injury was obviously pretty devastating. So uh, expecting him to come back to near perfect Dak like Dak like form that he you know was was showing us at the beginning of last season is it's not a foregone conclusion. So, I mean, as far as as far as far your take on what the Cowboys offense will look like this year, Ryan, and what you're expecting from Dak, are you expecting to see the guy that you saw the first couple of weeks of the season? Or is there some concern about the ankle injury? Um, where are you at with Dak and the Cowboys? See, also in the interest of full disclosure, I don't like Dak as much as most people. I view him more as a Matt Ryan caliber quarterback, where if you give him a great roster and he plays weaker opponents, he'll shred them. If you put him under some some duress, he's a different guy. He's one of my favorite guys to bet on or against because he's kind of predictable in that in that realm. That said, when you look through Dallas's roster, Dallas has an excellent roster, particularly on offense. I mean, the only concern we should have at all is maybe their offensive line is getting a little old. It's not what it once was. And like you said, I'm a little worried about him being a little gun shy maybe when the season starts coming off that ankle injury. But he's on track to be fine for opening day. Um, and again, since they open up against Tampa, even if he is a little shaky, I think that's kind of expected, especially since what they just did to Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I don't think it's going to destroy his value. But again, that's a, re- a reason I'm only putting a half unit on it because if they lose that game, then maybe I'll put the next half of that bet on after in case his odds, you know, shoot up. But uh, what's actually sort of, I view, th- I view this Dallas team, the parallel for them, the best case scenario is the 2016 Falcons where Matt Ryan led a, a top tier offense that was built. Dallas is actually more talented than a Falcons offense. But on the back end, the Falcons' defense played much better than anyone expected. And if you look again, if you look at Dallas's roster, they at least have guys. They have a top-end pass rusher in Demarcus Lawrence. They have three excellent linebackers, including Micah Parsons, who's you know the favorite to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. And while their secondary is weak and vulnerable, they have two second-round corners that at least could become a guy who's like maybe they're one of them is the next James Bradbury. You know, so like there's a lot of ifs in there. But I, I'm I am a little bit bullish on Dallas, which again, I'm a Giants fan, so it pains me to even say that, but it's the reality of the situation. Me, me and you both, Ryan. Me and it you didn't both. even occur to me that I've got two Giants fans on this podcast. What What is going on? And I'm probably I, the biggest Daniel Jones fan of the three of us, so <laughs> what, what's, what's going on here? Uh, man, Ryan, you bring up you bring up some good points to me on on Dak and and the Cowboys offense in general. Um, I'm with you, and and you know even if their offensive line is getting a little old, they're they're going to be much healthier than than last year, and they have a lot of people coming back, uh, which which is big. So, uh, you know, with, with him, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about comeback player of the year later, but I just want to touch on quickly with him. I mean, it's interesting to me that he's the favorite for for most improver or comeback player of the year, I believe, which makes sense, you know, a, a high end quarterback coming off the injury. Um, but he's also, you know, as you said, an interesting long shot for MVP. I'm guessing there's not too much precedent for those two awards overlapping. Uh, I, I'm curious on your take there. No, that is also one of my concerns, too, because he's unless he gets hurt again, he's almost certainly going to win comeback player of the year. I mean, it's a pretty deep race, but Dallas is a nine and a half win total. Dak's probably going to be top five in most of the major passing categories. He's 
I bet I I put five units on that at once at plus one seventy five, where he should probably be like minus one ten. You know, wow, he should be that kind of favorite. But that's again, that's another deep race, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit when the time comes. And I I do agree with you. I think unless Dallas is the number one seed, which is really where I'm coming from, because I think the NFC is a little wide open. Unless Dallas is the one seed, he's probably just going to win comeback player of the year. I agree with you there. Right. Okay. Before we get before we get into some longer shots, which is what everyone's here for, right? No one wants to hit on a fifteen to one or ten to one. That no one cares about that. We're here for the fifties and sixties and a hundred to ones. I'm going to throw a name at you, uh, get your take on that. But before we before we get to those names, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about established runs favorite quarterback, Josh Allen. Um, you mentioned him, the dark visor, the, the just dripping swag. He actually finished second in MVP voting last year behind Rodgers. So, you know, his, his card prices have actually been on a, an, an even wilder ride than some of the some of these other guys that we've been talking about. Um, you know, heading into the 2020 season, and, and Silva was all over this, but Allen was an afterthought for MVP. Um, 60 to one long shot, basically forgotten about. You could grab his base cards for around $200 in a PSA 10. They climbed steadily throughout the course of the season, topping out around a thousand in January. But he's one of the rare cases where his prices actually peaked even further after the season in April, got up to twelve hundred dollars. So, um, yet give give me your best, uh, you know, best case scenario for Josh Allen. Can he can he build on what he did last year? Was it a fluke? Obviously, there were concerns before the season. So, what did he show you last season that makes you think he's a legit MVP contender year in and year out? Uh, mostly it's the roster. Buffalo's legitimately very well built. They're well coached. They, they have one of the best offensive player callers. Dabble should be the head coach somewhere right now. I don't really understand why he isn't personally. But uh, I actually wanted to bet a little bit on regression with Buffalo just because he went so crazy last year. But their win total came out at 10.5, which was bizarrely low considering their schedule. I think they're going to be right in that range where they win 11, 12 games. Uh I've always liked Cole Beasley. Again, Gary, you're a Giants fan, so you can probably you probably don't like Jason Garrett. Probably, oh, I, I don't. Even if Jason Garrett was a good offensive coordinator, I wouldn't want him because he's a cowboy. But uh, the misuse of Cole Beasley and that offense used to blow me away. I never understood it. So they actually use him the right way. Davis emerges, you know, the replacement for John Brown and Emmanuel Sanders is a quality NFL receiver still. So. They have good tools. Their defense should actually be better. And in the MVP race, it's not just about putting up offensive numbers. It's about being one of the better teams in the league to this point. That might change as analytics, you know, has a bigger hold on people's opinions on the sport. But right now, your team has to be good for you to win the MVP. And they're going to be in the hunt unless something bad happens. Yeah, I, I don't see that changing as far as, you know, the, the your team needing to be good. This isn't baseball where we have 162 games and people can grind away and say, oh, my God, Mike Trout, sabermetrics, everything. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I think you you need to – we have six, 17 games. You, you need to be a winning team. And uh, usually um, those two things coincide where the best statistics from a quarterback will will coincide with with a winning team. Uh, I'm excited about the Bills. And, yeah, just to touch on Jason Garrett, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm – I'm looking forward, not actually looking forward, but I'm expecting to see how he misuses Kadarius Tony and, and everyone else on this team this year. Cause uh, man, talk about a decent offensive roster. The giants have one also, but I have zero faith. They could do anything with it. So <laughs> agreed all across the board. All right. Well, let's, let's not beat around the bush anymore because we've talked enough about these guys at shorter odds and, and that's cute. You guys want to bet on 10, 15, 16 to one. That's fine. <laughs> but 
let's have a conversation about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is 100 to 1, extreme long shot. Um, he's got the longest odds of any quarterback who's basically a lock to play 17 games, assuming he's healthy. We've talked at nauseum about, you know, my Daniel Jones love, but but is there some sort of like Josh Allen bull case for Daniel Jones? Obviously, he was a little bit better in 2020 than the stats showed. They've added numerous weapons. They get Saquon back, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. Uh, am I am I crazy, Ryan, for thinking that there's any case for Daniel Jones to be an MVP caliber quarterback? Am I am I completely off my rocker here? Well, here's what here's one thing I'll say. I haven't done this yet, but I've seriously debated it. Coach of the Year is an exceeds expectation award, which means essentially you either have to beat your Vegas win total by three and a half games, or you have to beat last year's record by four or more. And usually you have to do both. I've debated betting on every coach in the NFC East to win coach of the year this year because they're all 20 or one to better because someone's going to win. They all have good odds. The Eagles guy, Ciarini, is like 60 to one. If the Giants win 10 games, Joe Judge is winning that award. And the reality is I do think that's possible. I, I do. I, they have a good defense. Uh, I was just telling one of my buddies earlier tonight that the Giants might have a top five secondary. That's at least like there's at least a conversation there. They have a pretty good front. Like, we're looking at a top 10 defense. Uh, my read on Daniel Jones is when he's pressured, he stinks. And when he's clean, he's fine. You know, he's a good runner. So he brings that component. That's really the only Josh Allen comparison that I'm comfortable with is that he brings that, that, se- <laughs> that secondary uh, skill to the, to the table. But they are surrounded with legitimate skill position players in, in New York now. He does have tools. I don't have any faith that – uh football's Tom Glavin. I'm sure Gary knows what I'm talking about that. We don't want Jason Garrett in New York under any circumstance. I don't have any faith that he's going to uh, end up leading a calling plays for a top five Giants offense this year. That would be my, that would be how I'd try to talk you out of that. With that said, if you've bought Daniel Jones cards and the Giants win 10 games, we're, we're looking, we're looking good there. I think. Oh man, I, I am. Just, I, I've never thought I'd be vying for Freddie Kitchens to be as involved as possible. But that's that's where I am right now with uh, with the New York Football Giants. I I hope I hope that they can do something with that offense because I I mean you're right he set up well. I didn't even know we we're talking to Daniel Jones today, or I would show you so many cards right now. Um, but I mean just because I can't help myself and I was investing in him and I was buying him just for the PC if anything else. But I hope I hope that hundred to one could could be uh, somewhat valuable for someone down the road because that would make me a happy guy. Obviously, the the main concerns with with the offensive line and the offensive coordinator are, uh, you know, among my chief concerns for even considering buying Daniel Jones cards. But I'm sitting on a few right now, so I'm going to continue to hold those until those MVP odds improve, and I can maybe offload a little bit of that position. But uh, let's let's get into let's get into another guy because um, a guy from last year that really kind of drove the hobby craze even further. Um, a, a, a young guy, a guy that kind of outperformed expectations um, to the degree that Josh Allen did in, in some eyes, Justin Herbert. I don't really think we can close out this MVP discussion without talking about Herbie. He, he was kind of the driving force behind the 2020 class. He was, he was being bought up ahead of guys like Tua and Hertz and Burrow and, and all these names. So he's currently 20 to one with the eighth best overall odds to an MVP after opening last season. At 101, and pulling off one of the most improbable rookie seasons that you know any of us have seen in recent memory. So, um, Ryan, can you give me a bear case on Justin Herbert, or is it all roses for him? They've obviously added to the offensive line. 
things are looking up for him as, as far as I can tell. But is there any downside case to Justin Herbert? Was he a one-year wonder last year? I don't think I don't think he's going to be a one-year wonder. I think he's going to be good, but I think following up a historic rookie season with something better than that is a big ask. Um, you're right; the offensive line's better. Uh, Lynn's out, which is great news for everyone involved there. Uh, he has to learn a new system, which he did last year in a pandemic year. So I'm not probably as afraid of that as I would be with other people. Um, Eckler, Keenan, Keenan, I've been drafting all the time in the third round. So I definitely like that. And Mike Williams isn't bad, but it's not really uh, like the Titans are in a better situation. Dallas is in a better situation. So I think he has to elevate his team for them to be a top five offense. Their defense is a little worse too. Um, I've always been interested in the Chargers defense because they had an elite edge rush duo, but Ingram's gone. So they've lost some corners as well. So I, I view them as more of a shootout team. I don't know if they get to 12 wins would be my concern with him as an MVP candidate. Plus, like we talked about, he's got to jump the Chiefs, the Ravens, Bills, and Browns. He's got to jump at least three of those guys to get to at least the second seed or, or voters have to break pattern. So that would be my bear case as an MVP candidate in cards. I mean, probably my biggest bear case is he's a charger and they're not a very well-run organization historically. So are they going to set this guy up for success long-term? I... That would be my biggest concern. But no, he visually too, I when I watched film of him this offseason, it wasn't just numbers. He was really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Gary, I'm curious your take, because I know that you were able to get involved in box breaks and kind of secure uh, you know, stockpile a lot of a lot of Herbert going into the season last year after after products were released. Um, you know, what what do you see in his market? Do you think it's got room to grow? Um, and what are you doing with Herbert cards that you do have? Yeah, let's let's talk his market quickly. So obviously we've we've used his the the base PSA Prism 10 as an indicator quite often. Um, that card has peaked over uh, around March at 1350 I'm seeing uh, and it's steadily declined now and there's many reasons for this obviously one is we've talked about at length last week the market's down a lot of mostly is that is due to base cards and the volume large pop, pop reports, too much in circulation. We know about this. So you could get that card right now for around 600 to $650. That pop for his Prism PSA base 10 is at 1275 right now, but that's just going to keep growing. Reason being, um, so many people still have orders at PSA right now, and I guarantee a lot of those orders have base Herbert cards. Yep. So I wouldn't be buying that card up right now. However, I do think his refractors and shorter printed stuff certainly has sustainability. Um, the He passes the eye test. He's the hottest young name in the in the hobby, you know, maybe him and Josh Allen, the way his cards are going up. Um, but, you know, being that star rookie that basically was the face of the football hobby when the market was booming, I think has a ton of value for him. And, you know, I yeah, I was lucky enough to get in on him early, which is kind of a funny thing for cards like that. But, you know, if you're we're getting into box breaks like I was last year, uh, you know, the the card industry at least the break industry kind of is a late reactor to the on-field progress you need to see like three to four weeks before there's like a real flip in what teams are more expensive so for the first six seven weeks of the season it was still the Bengals that were either the most expensive team or the team that was the filler team meaning anyone had a chance at winning them um where the Chargers, you could just go on most teams, people's break site and buy at a cheaper price than the Bengals, and oftentimes even than the dolphins with tua so there was a good 
I don't know, five to seven weeks at the beginning of the season and leading into the season when some early releases came out where you could buy up the Chargers. And that's what I was doing last year, just based off pure talent on Herbert alone and just saying, honestly, just being contrarian where everyone was going in on Burrow and Tua. And I said, hey, let me at least go to the place that no one's looking right now. And it paid off for me uh, where I was able to kind of build a nice collection of Herbert. That strategy, by the way, is one we'll talk a little bit about coming up on some of the rookies here, but is going to be something that is really viable for this season, given that there's so many uh, rookie quarterbacks, uh, first round rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that here in a second. Before we get to Offensive Rookie of the Year and, and upcoming product releases, um, Ryan, anybody you want to talk on that's got that, that maybe you're not expecting to win the award or maybe doesn't even have a, real, a realistic shot to win the award, but somebody that some some of these long shots uh, as of right now, maybe 50 to one or greater, that might be one of these Herbert type guys that we're looking at next year and just thinking, oh, obviously he he should be one, among the favorites to win the award. Someone that you expect to, to take a leap uh, this season and, and have fairly short MVP odds next season. Trey Lance, I think will be the guy who we'll talk about him more rookie of the year because I think he's everyone's on him. So actually, we can just do it now. With Patrick Mahomes, he didn't play his first year, and he played Week 17 against Denver, and he was he had a middling performance. The best case scenario for the three of us and anyone listening is Trey Lance doesn't play until the end of the year, and when he does, he underwhelms. Then we all go buy everything we can. We take loans out. We do everything we can, and he makes all of us a lot of money the following year just because of the situation he's in. That's that's what I want to have happen. I put a very small bet on him at 300 to one for MVP just because that was ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think he's going to win, but he's already 100 to 1 now. If he plays on opening day, I'm going to be very happy about that because he's not drawing dead because they're a real team, you know? Right. Uh, I don't think Tua's going to win. I understand why people are optimistic about Tua. When One of the reasons I talk about Dallas the way I did is if you look at Miami's roster and I say to you guys, who are their five best players? You're going to say Xavier and Howard, and then it's going to be a bit of a discussion, you know? They're not as good as people think they are from a talent perspective. They've overachieved the last two years. They've been very well built. They're young. What I think is going to happen with Tua is next year's the year for Tua. So that said, he shouldn't be 66 to one for the MVP. He should be around 40 to one where Baker's my favorite guy below 50, I'd say, because Cleveland has a shot to be the best team in the AFC. I'm not sure he's going to be productive enough, but, uh, he should probably be in the 25 to one range too, just because of the quality of Cleveland's roster. I'll, I'll push back a little bit on Tua because uh, I, I've been pretty vocal about buying up Tua. Tua is a guy that I've got a ton of interest in. Um, you know, you can, you can not only the fact that the Dolphins really improved in, in this offseason and did things to highlight his skill sets by adding Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell and improving the offensive line. But you can craft narratives around why Tua was bad last season. It's come out that he didn't really know the playbook and he was afraid to check at the line and was just rolling with the play that was called. He got benched by Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's now out of town. He's another year off the hip injury. He had to deal with the COVID offseason. You know, coming into the season, we we assumed that Tua was a better prospect than Herbert. And now we've got a year's worth of data, and, and and obviously it looks like Herbert's the real deal, and the ceiling's you know insane for Herbert. But I'm not I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Tua. I think there's there's a lot of a uh, room for him to grow, and he seems like, I mean people are people are saying these things about Tua, um, you know making the making the, the kind of the excuses if you will, 
and, and crafting the narrative that he can be better going into this season. But then you see FanDuel tweet out the picture of him with Carr and Jameis Winston and Sam Darnold and saying, pick the pick the pick your best quarterback for the next five years. It's like the disrespect has kind of gotten out of hand uh, with Tua. I mean, going into the second year, I'm hoping for big things from Tua. I think the Dolphins, speaking of smart organizations, I think they're doing things the right way. They might may not might not have the roster uh, where it needs to be right now, but they are doing things the right way. So, yeah, maybe to your point, he he's a little ways off. But, yeah, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on Tua. I think he's going to have a good year this year. Yeah, I think he's going to be fine. I wouldn't even say he had a bad rookie year. He just – Herbert went ballistic, and Burrow was real good too. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was fine. He had some – he had some – games where the offensive line was a problem. And while it did improve, Brandon Thorne, who, you know, who's no one's as good as him and would at evaluating offensive line play, he had Miami at ranked 31st towards the end of the year. You know, so even bringing in a, in a rookie tackle, like we're still talking like maybe they're in the, the early 20s in terms of offensive line. So that's my concern with Tua. I have Tua in best ball, so it's not that I'm, you know, down on Tua. I think he's going to be fine. I just think next year's the year where maybe – he uh he really pops off. The only thing I'll add in on Tua uh, is you mentioned you maybe year three is the year from him, which I could totally see being the case also. But I think for him, even to get there, he needs to show some progress this year, right? Which from mm-hmm. a card investing perspective, you might still have some value just in that sense because there's a lot of expectations on that Dolphins team. Flores has done such a good job. People are expecting them to uh, advance, be a playoff contender. Uh, and if they don't, they have the draft capital to possibly reinvest in quarterback, right? So if they take a step back or if Tua is stagnant, doesn't take a real jump, um, you know, that might not be even a possibility for that year three leap. So I think you're going to have to see some improvement for that to even be the case personally. And so, you know, there, there could still be uh, some value in doing what Cody's been doing, which has been buying up some Tua cards. All right, let's, let's, let's get into this loaded rookie class because the 2020 class was stacked. This, this class might, might honestly be better than the 2020 class, right? Maybe rivals the 2020 class in terms of hobby value. So uh, it's a little tough to, to take any actionable information away from offensive rookie of the year right now. And the main reason for that is because the flagship Panini products just aren't out yet. Um, so Gary, why don't, why don't you just touch on some of the major releases um, upcoming this summer? And then when can we expect the big things that we talk about like prism and mosaic and things of that nature? Yeah, so so we're at a point with cards right now where you're going to see be seeing the draft picks cards trickle out, which are those ones we've kind of referred to that have the college uniform. Uh, so they can still consider them rookie cards, but they really only will hold value from now until the cards with the first pro uniforms come out. So you have like a two-month window if you're interested in buying a product, opening with your kids, whatever it may be, uh, to get, invest, and probably sell those cards at some point over the next couple months. Until, and then once that point comes, they, for the very, very, very most part, lose all their value uh, at that point. We don't really have a full release schedule right now for football and card releases. Uh, we do know that in the in uh, towards the end of June and then into July, you start seeing some of the what you would maybe consider the low-end releases come out. The only one announced right now is Luminance on June 30th. That's a very, uh, you know, historically a lower-end product. I don't think those have pro uniforms either. Uh, but from that point on, July into August, we'll start seeing some of those products come out. The first one that you might really be interested in from a rookie card in the pro uniform uh, is Mosaic. That came out in September last year. It was the first year that product did very well. Uh, and, you know, the the refractors, the short print stuff, the even the silver refractor prisms from that have whole health value in PSA 10s. So that came out in September. I would expect it to be around the same time 
this year. So that's one of those products you might be able to find an edge in if you know if that comes out right around week one, which I would expect it to be around that case. Uh, you know, we're not going to have any sample sizes on these rookie quarterbacks yet, except for maybe some preseason stuff. So if you're interested in getting into breaks and things like that, um, you know, see which who has the, the most hype. It's probably going to be Lawrence, right? Uh, and you know, see where there might be some room to wiggle and and see which teams might have some of those cheaper quarterback options. Maybe you'll be able to get you know, Jets breaks with Zach Wilson if you're interested in kind of getting away from what everyone else will be buying. Uh, so that comes out in September. And then you usually have a little bit of a trickling schedule from there. Uh, Prism usually comes out in October. All these things were a little bit later for last year due to COVID, but I'm expecting that we'll get back on schedule this year. So Prism usually comes out in October. Uh, Donner's Optic usually comes out in December. And then Select usually comes out in February 2021, right around the Super Bowl. Um, and then there are still some products that come out after that. Usually those are going to be your patch autograph, chase cards, um, you know, national treasures and flawless, which are your very high end patch auto. So really from September all the way through March of the next year, you have a nice trickling steady schedule of football releases. Ryan, talk, talk to us about this rookie class, um, mainly from an offensive rookie of the year awards market perspective. Obviously, for from hobby value, it's going to be loaded when you're talking about, you know, five or six potential quarterbacks that are um, going to see meaningful time early in their career. Um, but w- what do you see overall just looking at the awards market? Who are some of the guys that uh, are obviously going to be catching voters' eyes early on? I think this might be the deepest rookie of the year class in at least 10 years. It's just, there's, there's five first round quarterbacks. At least two of them are going to start on opening day in Lawrence and and, uh, Wilson. I think fields has a path to start with before the end of September, which would make him a contender, especially since he's a dual threat quarterback. And if Rogers sits, the bears are an interesting team to win the North in particular. Um, If Trey Lance plays early, he's obviously right in the thick of it. Fields and Lance are two guys I bet on specifically, because I thought they'd drop after the draft and they have, um, Mac Jones probably doesn't play enough this year to really be a contender. I think he probably is similar to Tua last year where they probably ride with Newton a little bit longer, especially if they're competitive. Uh, Jamar Chase, I, Joe Burrow lobbied for him and they, they literally did it. So that's a very interesting situation to me. He's talented in fourth overall or fifth overall pick rather. So he's in an interesting spot where – he could have a year similar to Jefferson's last year that would at least put him in the conversation against a, a high-performing quarterback. With Julio Jones getting traded, Pitt stocks up, obviously. And then you have Najee Harris in Pittsburgh, who's looking at bell cow volume. Running backs tend to win, the, win this award almost as often as quarterbacks do. So he could see an uptick as well. And then beyond that, you have a few – You know, we haven't even talked about Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddell. It looks like Williams in Denver might be the opening day back there. Michael Carter has a path to being – I don't I, – I'm hesitant to say that they're going to start a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back on opening day. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll wait. But he's at least in play. And Trey Sermon's definitely interesting if the 49ers run with him early. So this is a very, very wide-open race. Yeah, we know these skill position guys. We were just talking about it off-air, how how insane Justin Jefferson's market is from last year, just looking at his his Prism Silver stuff and even his base stuff, I think, is going around $150, $200 right now. So uh, we were talking about some of these skill position guys, and, and I would expect Jamar Chase to kind of carry a similar market, assuming he performs well. But, Gary, we know that quarterbacks drive the value in the NFL hobby. Are you going to try and take advantage uh, of – some of this stuff, like if, if guys aren't playing right away, if we don't see fields for a couple of weeks or if we don't see Mac Jones for a couple of weeks, 
or even if Lance sits behind, which just seems crazy given the hype. But if, if we see Lance sit behind Garoppolo for a little while, what's you talked about it with Herbert, but what's the best way to try and take advantage of that happening if we're getting involved in card breaks? Yeah, I think this year's a little interesting where like last year you had those big three top 10 quarterbacks and you can kind of pick which one you think is just the cheapest or, you know, if you thought all of them had the potential to have a big career, obviously you still want to use some some intuition and think, you know, you want the guy to be talented. Uh, I think this year that's even more important because there are so many to choose from. Uh, so you might have that mix where you can kind of see which ones are middle priced or or cheaper, both in breaks and in singles. Um and, you know, buy dips, you know, if guys have a, a down week in their rookie year, uh, but you still believe in their long-term ability, if, if the Jaguars struggle, Lawrence gets off to a rough start, you might actually have an opportunity there week three or week four, something like that. I don't know what their schedule is looking like, but, you know, things like that are definitely strat- are viable strategies. Uh, I'm with Ryan. I'm a big Trey Lance guy. I think, you know, put him with Shanahan. I think he's got all the intangibles. Uh, I'm going to, that's, that's where I'm going to be looking. And I, I'm right up Ryan's alley there with, I'm hoping he sits uh, because from a, from a car perspective and from a, a gambling perspective for long-term, you know, uh, whatever, you know, future bets and everything uh, there's, there's a lot of value there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him sit either. So th- that's where I'm going to be looking in addition to doing what I did with Herbert last year, seeing what those break prices come out at once those football releases start rolling out. And uh, I'll look where, you know, maybe there are some, some cheaper prices on some of the first round quarterbacks. Let's get rich on Trey Lance. Let, yeah. Let's do that. I love I love the sound of that. Any other hot takes in the the rookie of the year market, Ryan? Any long shots that you like? Uh, any of the long shot quarterbacks, or is it is it pretty much the guys that we've already discussed? Since Lawrence is going to start on opening day, it's probably going to be hard for him to lose, unless Lance also starts on opening day. Just because Herbert Herbert didn't start on opening day, but he he got plunged into duty in week two, I believe. Mm-hmm. After you know. <laughs> the uh, medical staff in Los Angeles sabotaged Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> but uh, I think if I was going to bet on a long shot, because there's so many guys under 10 to one, like that group of eight, I said, they're all under 10 to one, which is crazy, you know? But if I was going to go on a long shot, it would probably be Trey Sermon. That's probably how I would go. And even still, I, I think you have to, it's going to be hard for a quarterback not to win this one this year just because there's so many of them in good positions. You know, even even Mac Jones, if he starts early, the the Patriots could be a borderline playoff team plus, you know? So I, betting on any skill position player this year, I, I would be cautious. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I, I'm with you. It's going to be really tough for a quarterback not to win this award, it seems like, with, with the depth at the position and, and assuming the playing time is there for the guys that we expect to get the playing time. Uh, one last award that, that you, you kind of alluded to it early on. Um, you've got five units on Dak to win comeback player of the year. It seems like a foregone conclusion. If he's anything uh, like he was at the beginning of last season, he's probably going to, going to win that award. Unless maybe he wins MVP and they, they figure out something else to do as far as comeback player of the year goes. But any, any takes there? Because when I think of comeback player of the year, I'm thinking of somebody whose card prices are most likely down. Uh, if they're either coming off of injury or coming off a down year, things of that nature. So uh, any any interesting thoughts on comeback player of the year and a guy whose card values might increase if they were to win that award? So it's a deep race because you have Burrow who was hurt too, but Cincinnati's in a brutal division. So they're probably, you know, that seems like a situation where their coach gets fired at the end of the year to me, just because of the division they're in. He's He has an uphill battle there. Uh, you have Saquon and McCaffrey, where quarterbacks tend to win, win this award, both of those guys are coming into positions where 
I think no one would argue that they're two of the three best running backs in football, maybe two of the best, two of the top four with Cook and Henry. So from a card perspective, there's probably some room for margin if the Giants are good in particular, and Barkley's a big reason why. Um, Sam Darnold's interesting. If you're if you're a Joe Brady advocate and you you don't think Sam Darnold's dead, I don't. I thought it was a good move for them because you're going nowhere with Teddy Bridgewater with that team. At least with Darnold, that's a reclamation product that's worth taking a shot at, given their situation. I don't think he's going to win the award because of Dak primarily, but uh, from a card perspective, I think if you're bullish on on Darnold, he might be a good buy. You guys probably have more to say about that than me. But before you do that, Jameis Winston's 50 to one. I put a small amount on him because if he ends up taking over, Sean Payton went seven and one with Bridgewater and Taysom Hill in the last two years. Winston's already breached 5,000 yards passing. That's a situation where he could improve and at least contend for that award. If He's probably the only guy in that list that could put up numbers similar to Dak potentially, you know? And I don't know what his card prices are currently. Most of my Winston stuff is in other people's hands these days. But uh, <laughs> I have some. So I think there's at least a path where if he plays well, there might be some opportunities there as well. Well, in what seems to be a running theme for me, I love investing in bad quarterbacks. So I have I have a little bit of Sam Darnold. I'm, I'm glad to hear you th- hear you think that maybe he's got either a you know it seems like he's a long shot obviously to win this award but that his situation improved getting away from Gase and getting out of New York um being paired with Joe Brady's huge obviously the skill position players are better he gets McCaffrey we know we know what they did with the receivers got Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and they drafted Terrace Marshall so it seems like it's going to be really tough for his situation to be worse than it was in New York I don't know if the kid is good at all but I don't know if you can get a fair evaluation of him while he's while he's playing with Gase so I'm hoping that there might be, and, and his prices spiked a little bit after the trade uh, to Carolina, but I'm hoping that uh, you know we might see an actual fair evaluation of Sam Darnold this year, and hopefully he can prove some naysayers wrong, just like Daniel Jones does. Yeah, another interesting point. I, I, I hope that's true. <laughs> uh, I, I would say with, with Darnold and the Panthers, you know, we saw for the first time last year, rookie receiver cards kind of have some value. I'm curious to see if that sustains. Uh, but if it does, someone like Terrace Marshall, you know, he's probably going to be so much cheaper than all those first round receivers. So you could probably go buy up a bunch of his when the when the good stuff comes out. You could probably buy up a bunch of that stuff in bulk. Um, you know, even if he's off to a strong rookie year, if, if, if that can really sustain and Darnold takes a step, you know, just look at some of those secondary pieces that he's going to be working with. Uh, Jameis this is my guy that you mentioned, Ryan, as far as a long shot for that award. You know, he he can we know he could put up the numbers. We know that the Saints could be a very good team. Um, I really wish they did more in the skill, you know, to help out skill positionally uh, behind Michael Thomas. And, you know, obviously Michael Thomas is due for a bounce back year as well. Uh, but, you know, that's that would be the guy for me that, that I'm interested in as far as a long shot that I'll probably be uh, putting some action down on. He should he should not be 50 to one. He should be like 20 to one. Yeah, agreed. Uh, what about Carson Wentz? Any any shot there? Yeah, I mean, I've I always liked Wentz. I one one thing I've always said, which is probably like a I don't want to say controversial, but it's probably like a contrarian take is after he got hurt, they they tried to change how he played. Where I thought he he was thinking too much and he was slow to react. I think a lot of his problems were based off that. He's a guy. He's a bit like Brett Favre. You just got to let him go. If he gets hurt, he does. He gets hurt. Um, the Colts are a good organization, good offensive line, well-coached, solid defense. 
skill position players are average, but that's all he had in Philly too. So yeah, I, I think he's a guy who has a shot at winning that too. Yeah, he's he's interesting to me. I mean, that Colts team, I, as you said, I think they're a really solid organization and they're well run, both from the from the GM downward. So, um, happy that he's out of the NFC East. As far as hey, I can <laughs> root for him a little bit more. You know, I have some investment in his card, so I'd like to see see him go up as well. Uh, anyone else you got for for um, comeback player, Cody? No, as I'm wearing my my Colts gear here, so I I fully agree with you guys that that the Colts are a, a well-run or organization. So I'm I'm hoping for big things out of them. Although I'm a little worried that the Titans might just run away with the AFC South. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we covered it all. We've got comeback player of the year, offensive rookie of the year, MVP. Ryan, do you want to fire off any quick futures takes? Anyone that you think is going to win the Super Bowl that is not a favorite in the betting markets? Ooh, not a favorite. Uh... I bet on Denver at the Rogers news that day. So I got Denver at 60 to one. It was 14 to one. Now I think it's 24 to one. So that was really my, and I bet on their win total too, which went up a, a game from seven and a half to eight and a half. But again, he has to go there for them to be any kind of contender at all. I don't think the uh, team total is dead if he doesn't go there, but the Super Bowl bet sure is unless him or Watson go there. Uh, I would lean the Ravens this year. Get coming out of the AFC. I Kansas City's been there three years in a row. You know, I the AFC is really very good, so everyone's going to have to beat at least two quality teams to get to the dance. Um, but uh, whoever I think comes from the AFC wins. If I was going to take a longer shot, and it would be from the NFC, and it would be Dallas. And I hate myself for saying it. The only thing that makes me even feel slightly positive about it is Silva. The idea came from Silva. <laughs> and I just I see the upside myself. I see a little bit of 2016 Falcons in them, where maybe the silver lining here is that they take a lead in the Super Bowl and then blow it like Atlanta does. Maybe that will maybe that will help me. But with them, like you're looking at the Rams and you're looking at Tampa, and then you know everyone else, someone else is going to have to be much better than we expect. I think so. I'd go with Dallas. All, all very good points. I, um, you know, you could make a real argument for all those NFC East teams to come out of the division to make a run, maybe except the Eagles. You know, with they have a lot. You know, who knows with Hurts and the new coach, but at least Washington, New York, and Dallas, you could certainly make um, a, you know, a real argument for. Real quick before we go, you we mentioned the Rams, and I think we'd be remiss not to talk about Matthew Stafford because I know he was a name that was kind of floating around that MVP conversation right when the trade happened. You know, you link him up with McVay. He's probably going to be in the best situation he's had in a long time. Um, they're a talented team with a good roster. And he's a good quarterback. He is. Uh, you know, just real quick to, to circle back on that MVP conversation, any love for Stafford? And would you be investing in his cards heading into this season? I've always loved Stafford. I've uh, It's always been an argument for Stafford or Matthew, Matthew Ryan to me, and I've always liked Stafford more. Yeah, I think he makes them a much better football team, but I don't think they're a good enough offense to – for him to produce enough to be like a, you know, basically for, to win the MVP, you have to be top three in touchdowns, top three in rating, top three in uh, QBR and kind of top five in EPA has been a more recent trend. Um, I think it's possible if Julio went there, I would have loved Stafford um, from a card perspective. And this is something I've told people too, because they also have like a 38 year old left tackle. So if he goes out, that changes their offense. I view them more as like, more, I don't view them as a great regular season team. If they get into the playoffs, so they're real dangerous. Mm. I'm also going to hit something you said real quick. I also think Washington's really interesting. 
My only concern with them is their schedule is much harder than Dallas's. But I'm with you. I, if Washington ended up being like a top two team in the NFC, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, definitely. They have a scary defense also. Chase Young, by the way, has a little bit of a market for a defensive player. You don't you don't see it yeah. very often, but those transcendent guys, the they, they you know, they'll, they'll sneak through. So, um, you know, if you're if you're a Washington fan, if you're a football fan, you know, Chase Young's exciting. Certainly. The best place for a quarterback is on his ass as a defensive guy, so I'm I'm in on that. <laughs> totally. Way to wrap it up, Ryan. You're you're a hand in the dirt kind of guy from the school of Silva. You can't go wrong if you've got a Cowboys bet if it came from Silva. So uh, I think we said it all today. Any any last words from you, Ryan? It was fun. I learned some things. I, I like that me and Gary are aligned on certain things, just like you and I were aligned on Daniel Jones when we were buying them. I like this. When smart yeah. guys see things the same way as you, but from a different angle, your chances of success are higher. I like it. I really had a good time, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for joining us. You didn't make me feel any better about my Daniel Jones cards. I'm going to I'm gonna keep them locked away in storage, not show anybody, and just kind of ignore that I even said that on the podcast. But uh, yeah, Ryan, we really appreciate you coming on. Like I said at the front, you're, you're an expert in the, in the awards market. If you guys haven't read Ryan's stuff, go check out the site immediately, establishedrun.com. Go read all of his awards analysis. Make your bets uh, at the sports book. Make your bets with the cards that you're buying. But uh, whatever you do, spend some money speculating on sports this offseason uh, and enjoy it as you ride it throughout the NFL season. So uh, for Ryan, for Gary, I'm Cody. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan.